we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. We're up to episode 194 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. I am Trevor, your host, the Iron Fist. With me as always, Scott. The Velvet Glove. How are you, Trevor? How are you, Paul? G'day, listeners. And Paul, the 12th man. Greetings, earthlings. Well, what a week. I mean, we keep saying this, Scott. We started this podcast four years ago because to us, the whole issue of religion and politics was important and people weren't paying enough attention to the influence of religion. And boy, oh boy, just the more we do this, the more it's apparent that it's such an amazing force on our society. It people really are starting is. to appreciate yeah. that in one way or another. Even if they're not getting it right, at least they're starting to see it. <laughs> I mean, this is the whole point that you make, you know, because we were worried at the time whether or not we'd have enough to talk about. And week after week, they just keep piling it on us. Mm. You know, it makes no, it doesn't matter what part of the world you're looking at, there's always some element of faithfulness that gets into our way. There is indeed. And very early on, we identified identity politics as a big issue that we had to get our heads around mm-hmm. as an important one. And that's become even more and more important. And, uh, well, uh, we had this, of course, terrible, uh, a white terrorist in Christchurch, no less. And at the current count, it's up to 50, and it's just an appalling situation. And everybody is talking about it, as they should. I mean, mm. it's, it's a big thing. And we'll add our two cents worth to your listener and try and give you some insights and ideas as to what's really going on. Um, one of the things about this guy is that he had a manifesto. And uh, in the manifesto, I'm just going to read uh, some extracts that I've got from different news articles, but he claims to represent millions of European and other ethno-nationalist peoples. And he said, we must ensure the existence of our people and a future for white children. The gunman described the attack as an act of revenge on the invaders for the hundreds of thousands of death caused by foreign invaders in Europe, in European lands throughout history, for the enslavement of Europeans taken from their lands by the Islamic slavers, and for the thousands of European lives lost to terror attacks throughout European lands. And it says he was inspired by a trip to France, the invasion of France by Um, non-whites. He, in his manifesto, said he had no remorse, only wished he could have killed more of the invaders. Um, Said there was a racial component to the attack, that's for sure, and he described (laughs) it as anti-immigration and an attack in the name of diversity. So... Um, An attack in the name of diversity. Mm. How does he figure that? Yeah. Posting on 8chan forum, a user who identified himself as Tarrant announced he would carry out the attack. So 8chan and 4chan, these are seem to be hyped up versions of Reddit. And I've got a friend, Joe, who's an expert apparently on 8chan and 4chan, and I'm going to try and contact him via Skype now and see how I go. Okay, that'd be um, interesting. We've done a little bit of an intro, Joe, where we've just sort of read a bit of his manifesto and how this guy, of course, the white terrorist in Christchurch, and how he was active on 4chan and 8chan. 
and you said to me that you're, you've got some knowledge of these forums, and I had never heard of either of them until now. So what are they? Okay, well, if you've heard of, never heard of either of them, uh, they're basically image boards. Um, so that's basically a message board, but each initial post has an image attached to it. Um, the forum started a while ago. Um, I don't have exact dates. I can look it up. That's easy. Uh, 2003. Uh, and it's kind of become a place on the internet for people to express not so much free speech, but I guess edgy speech and escape from their lives in a way that they couldn't express in their day-to-day office or mundane lives, if that makes sense. So is it is it kind of I know what Reddit is. Is it kind of just Reddit on on steroids? Is that kind of what it is? Well, Reddit actually started from some people that weren't happy with the 4chan experience. Right. So they went and uh, Reddit works a little bit differently. So Reddit's kind of like an aggregator. So if you've used Reddit before, you'll understand that when you log into Reddit, you see things that have been upvoted or uh, things that are relevant to subreddits that you've followed. Um, so things that are, it's usually catered in some way to you. There's an algorithm behind the madness similar to uh, okay. the way that Facebook works. Yep. Whereas if you go into 4chan um, or 8chan is pretty similar. If you go into either of those, um, you pick a board. A board is a sub forum that is uh, designated by topic. So there's mm-hmm. anything from cars and weapons to like anime, TV shows, stuff like that. Right. Um, they're all you go into a board, and then it's only ever sorted by uh, recency. Right. Yep. So normal people like you, Joe, might go on it for legitimate reasons, but but a lot of wacko people go on there as well. Is that well? Is that I right? don't. It's been a long time since I've used it, so. Uh, it might make sense if I explain to you my history with the site. So back when uh, I just finished school, I'd heard about it and a couple of my friends had been on the site a couple of times. And back then it was still kind of this, I guess, kind of what it is now at the moment, like this dark, edgy, oh, everyone's heard of the hacker 4chan, which sometimes news sites will describe it as. Um, and it had been this it, almost like a, a the dark web at the time. Mm-hmm. Like people referred to it, oh, that's the dark place of the internet. And when in reality, it's not even close to being that. Um, so I, I started browsing just with some friends, like late at night, we're drinking or whatever, and just browse the the main board, which is B for random. And on that board, it's mostly, uh, it, it's anything. So if you go on there now, you could post something and it would just show up in the recency. But generally what appears there is like outlandish things because there's so much posting um, to be able to be seen and to be recent. Uh, somebody has to bump it, otherwise it'll just disappear into obscurity. And bumping just means somebody else replying to it. Right. So the more outlandish things on that board get, they rise to the top, everything falls off the bottom. Right, yep. So um, so you go on there to see, like to be shocked, basically. Right, yep. Um, so, uh, and, and there'd be different panels there then for right-wing extremists who could go and just talk about their neo-Nazi sort of vision of the world. And well, <laughs> other people could avoid that by being on a different panel. Well, what you what you're talking about is um, poll. Right. So, 
pole is a, a bit of a different beast. So as I said before, the, there's different um, boards, right? Right. So B is kind of just there for you to be shocked. Yep. And then each of the other boards kind of have their own subcultures, I guess. Yep. So there's a board called K, um, which is about weapons, which I believe, I don't know if it's true, but I believe the shooter was a poster on. And then there was pole. Um, so pole has an interesting background because it's the political board and it was kind of what they called as a containment board so back in the early days of 4chan there was a lot more political posting in the other boards and they kind of created poll to be a, a containment area for them to keep that away from themselves right uh and uh so the way that has it evolved is is pretty interesting and not super up to date with what happens there but there are there's a lot of how can i put this succinctly what people post there is similar to what they post on other areas of 4chan. Like they're trying to shock people. They're going out of their way to uh, say things that they couldn't say in real life. Um, and that includes, you know, slurs, outlandish ideas, things like that. And yep. that becomes kind of a thing of its own. That's not to say it's a like a white supremacist board, although there are people there that either pretend to have those views or actually do have those views there. Because it's anonymous, you don't really know what everyone believes. It's kind of mm. just this melting pot. And it's kind of that idea of you're shocking people, but also you're expressing and hearing ideas that you wouldn't necessarily normally encounter. Right. Yeah. And you so, were yeah. you were sort of just for, for, for laughs or whatever or for titillation, you would have a look, but you've dropped out because – is it just because it gets just too ugly, like – that you stopped sort of frequenting it or, or I, um, so when I was uni, I, I kind of got sucked in and became a, a frequent user just because it would, it was kind of had become my main page mm. of the internet. You just drop in and see what's happening whenever there's big events, um, say a big sports event or a big current affairs event or big video game news, whatever. If you go to the relevant board, there's always interesting takes on it. Like, you know, the super edgy memes come out straight away um, and it's good, like, it's good entertainment. Um, but I just realized that it was kind of doing negative things to my life, uh, especially one of the boards that I was hanging out on has a really negative view of everything in general, I guess. But it's also mm. kind of, it has this reputation of being an incel board. Yeah. Um, so, so nobody, <laughs> nobody owns it. You know how there's all this talk now about, well, we've got to crack down on Facebook and other social media platforms who are, you know, showing these the videos or whatever. Uh, is 4chan or 8chan something that nobody could ever shut down? Is it one of those things um, that exists and is immune from from public force? So 4chan was originally owned by a guy called Moot. Um, he left a few years ago uh, and now works for Google. I don't actually know who owns it now. It kind of stays alive through advertising uh, on the, on the boards. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I think there've been attempts to shut it down. I don't know if you guys have seen, um, but I saw this morning that Telstra is now blocking 4chan um, <laughs> along with other sites. So on the Telstra, on a Telstra um, um, internet connection, they, yep. they'll block it. Wow. Um, well, it, it was kind of interesting. 
Um, I didn't know if you guys were going to talk about this or not, but um, Telstra apparently put out a statement this morning or last night that they were going to be blocking a bunch of sites that had uh, been circulating the link of the shooter, uh, the footage, mm. um, and 4chan happened to be included in that. Um, some of the others were like, I don't know, a bunch of other sites probably don't want to shout them out, mm. but um, uh, other places where you could watch that kind of thing. But mm. 4chan happened to be included, which I, I thought, was interesting. Very good, Joe. Well, we've got to get on with all the other topics to do with uh, shooting. So anything else we need to know about 4chan, 8chan that's relevant? Um, not particularly, unless uh, I would be interested to hear your stance on Telstra blocking um, internet sites um, and whether that they're allowed to do that or whether mm. that's a violation of their rights as a carrier or their Obligations well, that carry, I guess. Well, when it comes to free speech, I draw the line where you're inciting violence. And so anything up to that point is okay, but beyond that, it's not okay. So um, the difficulty is where you've got the blocking of a whole site, some of which is breaching that and some of which isn't. Um, and it would be impossible just to block only the, uh, the bits that contravene that rule I've made up and allow the other bits through. And so, aren't such so, sites like, like mushrooms? You know? Well, this is what I was asking, Joe, whether you know, it could be shut down and would another one pop up, but maybe not. I mean, well, HN kind of is, is that, right? Mm-hmm. So 4chan became a little bit more censored back around the time where Moot was trying to sell it. Um, and 8chan popped up. And 8 is, 8chan is kind of what you were referring to. You said, uh, is 4chan Reddit on steroids? 8chan is 4chan on steroids. That's right. kind of the, the dark place where anything goes. Right. Um, and you, the, all of the crazy stuff you hear about often comes from there rather than 4chan. And to, 4chan kind of takes the hit. Not that 4chan mm. is a great place. I'm not condoning that at all. Well, um, yeah. But, so I, I guess yeah. I would say if there's a significant, a more than trivial amount of of inciting of violence that happens on a forum and the people who run it are prepared to weed that out, then I'd be okay with shutting them down myself if if that's what's going on, I think. But I might change my mind if I thought about it, but I don't know. What do Because you, you're a bit of a libertarian, Joe. What do you think? A bit of a libertarian? <laughs> um, he I'm, accuses I everybody think... of that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Are you another of these 12th Man fanboys, by the way? I am, yeah. There you go. Uh, (laughs) I'm a big fan of the the fact that – well, one of the other things that you should probably talk about as well, uh, the Scott Morrison quote from today where he said something about – I don't have it in front of me, but something to the effect of believing that the internet should be an ungoverned forum is outrageous. Um, I think I misquoted that slightly. But um, I think Mm. the internet is the last place where – it sh- kind of should be a little bit ungoverned. Um, I think free speech is an amazing thing for all of the usual reasons. Mm. Um, and having a place that people can be a little bit wild kind of stops that thing from happening mm. in I, real life, I, contrary to okay. mo- popular opinion. Let me try and find a line then. Um, what about ISIS, for example? They had a we- their own website where they were promoting their activities and trying to recruit people for their for their cause and they would have videos of beheadings and things like that on there. Is that something that you would agree? Because uh, eventually those were shut down. I mean, they tried to um, 
you, you recreate them on different sites and basically the world got together and and cut them down every time they opened up and, and they effectively disappeared. So would you say something like an ISIS site was it was legitimate to, to block it? Well, like you, I think um, if you're committing violence or calling for violence, I think, mm. yeah, there's not really a place for you. But up only up until recently, ISIS was on Patreon and ISIS was on Twitter. Mm. Like, And these are like apparently... Um, Governed really, spaces. Really, you could contribute to ISIS on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, I don't think directly ISIS, but um, oh. like an ISIS subgroup. Right on Patreon. Really? Okay. I believe I, you'd have to fact check me on that. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that, Joe. I don't trust you on that one. But uh, just kidding. I um, didn't think Patreon would be a party to anything like that. Mm, would you? I wouldn't have thought so. Yeah. But, but um, the general Patreon principle do Black Lives Matters though. Black uh, Lives Matter, which in some circles is considered. Terror, a terrorist organisation. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you would agree that something like ISIS should be blocked yes. and stopped. Yes, so, certainly. Yeah. you know, there is a point. It's just when, where do you get to it? And how much of a site is involved in uh, inciting violence and how much is not? And that's where it's a bit of a factual thing and a, and a tricky we, part. We can be pretty sure that ISIS actually did kill people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but so, I mean, even if they would, but we've also, well, I've said, and I think you agree, that inciting other people to kill, which was kind of the mm. main danger of yes. ISIS, really, was certainly to Australians, was the incitement of other people, and that was enough to. I agree, yeah, I agree. In, yeah. You know, direct incitement mm. to violence, I think, is a legitimate and, reason. And, and it sounds like 8chan to was. To shut it down and st- to pursue the people who uh, run it, possibly. Yeah. And it sounds like 8chan would definitely have. Plenty of stuff in there that was inciting violence, Joe. Probably or not. I would have thought. So. Um, I've I've been on HN twice, um, and neither were particularly good experiences. Yeah. Um, Did you feel but, violent uh, afterwards? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was browsing the film board, yeah. um, but it's usually just the guys that feel like they're being too censored too much on 4chan. So yeah. read into that what you will. It's usually yeah. like the, so. Could it be just like a like a, a place where people sort of, you know, let off steam in a sense. That's basically what 4chan is, yeah. It's people, um, like, uh, people, this is a, a a line that's bandied around a lot, but people feel the constraints of PC culture mm. and whether, you know, you acknowledge it or not. Yeah. Uh, things you can't say, things you can't do. And having, like, naughty jokes on the internet is kind of really fun for a lot of people and that's got a really strong appeal especially to stuff that you would never say or never hear anybody say and to see those jokes just freely and scroll through them and be shocked and find it funny. Like it's kind of one of the last places you can do that and that's why it exists. Hmm. Tricky one, yeah. It is a little bit tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. All right, Joe. Well, we're going to uh, uh, finish with you and we'll – We'll continue with the rest of the yeah. podcast. And That's okay. I just <laughs> had a quick Google yeah. and uh, I fact-checked myself and it turns out I was wrong. Um, so, so no there was no ISIS on Patreon. <laughs> oh, there we go. That didn't take long. And look, if you go out and commit any hate crimes after talking to us, we, we're going to be very upset. No, Joe won't be doing that. <laughs> I'll so, try not to. Right. All righty, Joe. Thanks. I'll, I'll talk to you another time. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Uh, thanks, Bye guys. Now. See you, Joe. Bye. Pleasure. Okay. That was Joe. That so, was quite interesting. Mm, another world that we hadn't inhabited before. <laughs> it so. was really interesting, wasn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. he, he didn't sound like a big fan of it, did he? It sounded like 
it wasn't like a, a good place. Teenager it's, sort it's of. It's an un, unhealthy place to be. You mm. wouldn't want your teenage boy locked up in a room and scrolling through those sites eight hours a day, would you? No, but you wouldn't. Probably not. It'd be unhealthy. But, but you no. know what they say about violent video games, don't you? No, what do they say? They say research shows that, um, you know, for most people, it doesn't really turn them into psychopaths. Right. Really? Yeah. Mm. Despite the intuitive feeling yep. a lot of people have that exposure yep. to violent video games might turn nice young teenage boys into violent men, mm. they say the research doesn't bear it out. Right. They, in other words, if someone is... They're not more likely. They're to... not more likely, no. So if someone right. has that tendency anyway, right. then it may be violent video games, it might, mm. might be you know murdering kittens, it might be something else that... You know, sends them off the deep end, but it's it's not the it's it's not the violent video game that is doing that to right. them. That's yeah. counterintuitive. Could that you just could you just fact check yourself on that straight away, please? Yeah, somebody else told me about this. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah. All right. Well, you um, you quite liked the spike article on this. I thought this. it was spot on. Do you, do you want me to read bits of it, or do you want? I, w- to? I was going to read yeah, go a ahead. bit of it, but, yeah. but but you go ahead. If you, you know, people if hear from me all the time. If, if you've got a, um, yeah, oh, just yeah. give me a sec. Yeah. Let oh. the fanboys hear the man's yeah, voice. Yeah, that's right. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, here it is. Yes. Um, look, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of Brendan O'Neill, as some of you would know, and I think he's, he's quite perceptive and he writes very well and he's got this piece on Spiked entitled New Zealand, The Barbarism of Identity Politics, subheading... The relentless reduction of people to cultural beings is unleashing terrible conflict. And he starts out with um, basically saying, you know, it was a horrible thing. Nobody likes when this happens and it's very disturbing and uh, it, was a, it was a heinous deed. No uh, dilly-dallying around that one. But he goes on to get into why, at its essence, it's a manifestation of cultural uh, politics and cultural identity. Mm-hmm. He says the killer sees to see himself as little more than a cultural being. In his seeming manifesto, he professes commitment to the warped ethos of ethno-nationalism and continually refers to himself as white. Now, you do that a lot, Trevor, and I'm getting a bit tired of it. <laughs> he, <laughs> he can see no identity for himself beyond the one... He inherited by birth. Strikingly, the killer appears to say that his attack was done in the name of diversity. Now, that is bizarre, I agree. He says he wants, to, he wants diverse people to remain diverse, in other words, meaning identity groups must remain separate, unique, undiluted, unrestrained in cultural expression. Now, you know, he's, he's a bit... He sounds a bit unhinged, to be honest, but, you know, he did the deed and it was based on this kind of thinking this kind of uh what is what else he say this sounds chillingly similar to the separatist ethos of the identitarian outlook in which cultural appropriation is a sin and anyone who seeks to speak up for other races or cultures risks being reprimanded with words like stay in your lane the killer's belief in cultural purity is of a piece with the identitarian worldview. Spot on, Brendan. Absolutely spot on. 
And he also uh, says that this killer apparently is no fan of democracy. He sees it as a kind of mob rule. But I'll just read the paragraph that really hit home for me. Mm. Um, The identitarian impulse has catastrophically divided society. It has nurtured cultural and racial conflict. It has given rise to a grotesque game of competitive grievance. It has had an inexorably fragmentary impact, ripping the social fabric. We are now actively invited to think racially, behave racially, conceive of ourselves as little more than white men or black women or whatever, and to engage with people through a racially and culturally heightened perspective. Check your white privilege, watch your microaggressions, stay in your cultural lane, etc. It would be remarkable if such a depraved culture did not help to nurture new forms of violence. New Zealand confirms that identitarianism is now a scourge of the violent right as well as the woke left. Mm. Spot on, Brendan O'Neill. Mind you, though, racism existed well before identity politics. It did, but identity identity politics has has brought racism into vogue, in a sense. You know what I mean? So what we would say is, yes, there was racism before identity politics, and the um, movements of the 60s, well, you know, there was a movement towards uh, equality of people despite their differences. And that then got hijacked to special privileges for people because of their differences yeah. or special interests and an accentuation of difference. So, and, and that, of course, swings us all the way back to racism again. So we, for a while we had a chance to move away from yeah. it. Martin, but, Luke, Martin Luther yes. King Jr.'s dream of colour blindness. Yes. And yes. now we've gone back to yes. everything's vivid colours and, you know, we have no choice but to see each other in terms of our different colours. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think it's, um, you know, Trevor's hit the nail right on the head there. You know, in the 60s we had a chance, but since then we've just gone backwards. Mm. Kenan Malick did a piece, um, well, he reprinted some talk he did on the history and politics of white identity. And he said that um, originally rich Virginian slave owners circa 1619 didn't view themselves as white. (laughs) Oh, really? They were English. Oh, I see. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, By 1865, uh, the elite um, viewed Negroes and working class as being in the same tribe and the white had class and social status. Uh, That began to wane when the working class were allowed to vote and... But then with imperialism, there was a division between Europe and the colonies and skin colour became very important, of course, with the colonies. So after the Holocaust, racism became less acceptable. Um, But in the 60s, many black activists seeded from integrated civil rights groups and set up separate black groups. Many justified this not just as a political strategy but as a cultural necessity. Mm. And black activism provided a template for other groups such as women, Native Americans, Muslims and gays. Did you know, 12th man, 
the origin of the word or the term identity politics. Fun fact coming sure. up for you. The term identity politics was coined in 1977 by the American Combahee River Collective, a group of black lesbian militants in their black feminist statement where they argued um, radical politics came from placing their own experiences at the centre of their struggles. Focusing upon their own oppression is the embodiment in the concept of identity politics. So they were the first ones. Really interesting. What, mm, what 1977. 77. Mm. Can I just mention, when you talk about Kenan Mullock, I actually have a, a couple of his books, as you do, Trevor. Uh, the one that rings a bell when you mention what you said uh, about the people in Virginia identifying as English rather than white or black or whatever, I think he wrote about that in his very good book, The Meaning of Race, Right. Subtitle: Race, History, and Culture in Western Society. It's an excellent book. It's a very in-depth look at uh, racial consciousness and racial identity in mm. in the West. Mm. Uh, he often does that. Like he'll do essays and then collect it all together as part of a a, uh, a book mm. or the other way around. Yeah, but he's very good on the topic. I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's Pakistani, is he? Uh, he's, well, seems to be. I think he identifies as British of Pakistani origin, but yeah, I'm not sure. But it helps him say these things that other people couldn't say. Be- it's true, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, if he was, um, you know, of, you know, He, he can say things Anglo- that Brendan European. O'Neill can't say. Or, well, that's or, right. Or would, um, he gets less criticism for it. Be- yeah. Because of his skin colour, I would say. It's true. And it's a manifestation, as I think mm. you would agree, of racism is... Um, mm. If you don't look uh, the right way, mm. uh, people can dismiss your comments as as coming from your ethnic origins rather than from your intellect and your research. Mm. So anyway, well, um, go on. No, I was just okay. going to mention that the, the way he looks got himself beaten up though. <laughs> Kevin Mullick. Yeah. yeah, when he was... Um, he was set yeah, upon. Yeah, yeah, when he was younger he was... Well, this yeah. was just recently. Oh, uh, no, that was... Um, that was not Ken uh, Malik. That, that was, was the other. Sorry, Yeah, that was Majid got mm. beaten up, or yep. at least. Yep. Um, Unless he faked it, I don't think so. No, I don't. <laughs> think he, I don't think he did either. But just on <laughs> Ken and Malik, he says the politics of solidarity draws people into a collective, not because of a given identity, but to further a political or social goal whereas the politics of identity divides, the politics of solidarity finds collective purpose across race, gender, sex, religion, culture or nation. So the politics of solidarity has crumbled over the last two decades as radical movements have declined. For many today, the only form of collective politics that seems possible is that rooted in identity. And it's fragmentary, isn't it? Yeah, so... And, you know, the left used to be about, as you said, solidarity mm. of, the, of, the, you know, of the great unwashed masses struggling just to have a decent life against the... It, it didn't matter if you were... The black, landed gentry and the... Black or white or brindle, it, let's get a wage rise for the poor. That's and right. let's get better conditions. And Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and now they've just fragmented into all these grievance groups you yeah. know, and subgroups. Yeah. And it's a natural reaction when you've got people celebrating their cultural blackness for other people to then go, well, I 
want my share, I'm going to celebrate my cultural whiteness. Uh, it's a, just a natural yeah, thing. Like you, that's right. What do you expect is going to happen? Exactly. And Kenan Malik actually wrote about in the 19... I think it was in the 1970s and 80s when... The Brit- when in Britain they were experiencing some race riots in certain areas, um, mainly with uh, West Indian migrants. Mm-hmm. And the British government, in, a, in an attempt to try and settle things down, started looking for so-called community leaders that they could sort of bring on board, yes. offer them some money for community projects yes. and try and calm things down. So the... The British government actually encouraged this kind of divisive identity consciousness by throwing money at who they assumed were so-called community leaders. Of course, as we know, not everybody who has a, the same ethnic background wants to be recognised as essentially that you know a person of that ethnicity. People want to be people. People, you know, British people want to be British or European or or just people. And yet the government encouraged them to identify as Pakistani or West Indian or whatever. That's right, because they gave money to the leaders of it those was, groups. Yes, it, it, and it encouraged a form of multiculturalism that yes. was parallel lives That's rather right. than integrated right. lives. Yeah, he, yeah, he details that very well. They created book. a monster. Mm, dead right. And um, well-meaning people at the end of the day. Well-meaning but misguided um, and, yeah. uh, you know, people who don't really grasp how, you know, the dynamics of nation building and how mm. you really need to uh, give people a sense of, of common identity, not fragmented identity, mm. if you want them to feel part of a, a common unit. Anyway, I'll just finish off with Ken Malik. He says, the question people ask themselves today is not so much in what kind of society do I want to live as who are we? The answer to the question in what kind of society do I want to live, has become shaped less by the kind of values or institutions people want to establish than by the kind of people they imagine they are. And the answer to who are we has become defined less by the kind of society they want to create than by the history and heritage to which they supposedly belong. It's really well written. So... um, so there we go. And this is where I've criticised our friend. What's her name again? Uh, Yasmin Abdel-Majid, oh, who had such a platform. She's popped her head up, up again too, hasn't she? She's back in the country. such a platform to actually promote. Is she back here? Is oh, she? yeah, and they're still encouraging her. She could be promoting a solidarity of, of, of struggling of people yes. rather than encouraging the fracturing and the breakdown of intergroups. So anyway... Um, there we go. So that was Ken and Malik. And um, oh, what else did he say there was... The other thing he said was that when we think of the working class, I'm just, you know, the working class, you think of poor white people. You don't necessarily think of poor coloured people. I do. You do? Yeah. What about you, Scott? Um, generally... I don't really think of them as being coloured or white or anything like that. I just it's think of them... just poor people or poor, poor people. people. yeah. Maybe I've read that wrong. I have heard that before, though, Trevor. I couldn't tell you where, though. But Why wouldn't you that. think of poor, non-white people? Be- because coloured people are never referred to as, as having a class. They're <sighs> always referred to as... I see what you mean. 
you know, Muslims or yeah. uh, Chinese. So there's or, the white middle or, class, the white working class, and the, there are the Muslims and the Indians yeah, and the Chinese. But, but the ethnic groups don't get divided into oh, working class Muslims and elite Muslims mm. or working class Chinese and elite Chinese. Mm. So if they were, then maybe the elite Chinese and the elite Muslims – sorry – Maybe the, the working class Muslims, the working class Chinese, and the working class white people could come together as working class together for a for a cooperative venture. And but, this is the problem but, with identity but, politics: but we don't is really they're encouraged to identify with their their parents' culture rather yeah. than their current circumstances. Absolutely, yes. and that is a big, big problem. That's yeah. huge. Yep. Uh, Jacinta Ardern, uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister, has come in for a lot of. Um, Praise, Praise, yeah. Um, Twelfth man. I was disappointed, to be honest. I mean, I, I, did, I had a, I had a reasonably good opinion of Jacinda Ardern. As soon as I saw that photo, that sad face with the hijab on, I was like, "Well, it's a shawl of some sort, isn't it? It's a head. It's shawl. the same thing. Head it's scarf, shawl thing. of some sort. She yeah. was virtue signalling that she was trying Wasn't to show. Wasn't she in a mosque at the time? Didn't she have to wear it? She's in New Zealand. Does she have to wear it anywhere? Well, if she went into a mosque, I believe she did. The law of New Zealand says no, that if she enters no, a mosque. No. The law she of has New Zealand doesn't it. say that you have to. And that's to my go. point. Okay. Is that that's my point. She's the prime minister. She's a role model for for women not only in New Zealand, but you know, globally because she's a, she's a very young uh, country leader. Mm-hmm. And to me she should be um, personifying what it is to be an intelligent, liberated woman in the 21st century. And to me, a woman feeling obliged to cover her head simply because she's female, I'm sorry, it doesn't fit that image. And I think she undermined a lot of women in countries like Iran, Saudi Arabia and all those benighted countries where women really have little choice but to accept their secondary, their second-class status as women. Mm-hmm. Um, and women have died for that. Women have been thrown into prison and tortured for that, you know, for their, for their right not to have to put a thing on their head just because they're female. And Jacinda, I think she let all those women down. And I, I have to say that I'm disappointed, Jacinda, if you're listening. She's, she's still one of my favourite politicians. So, well, what did you think of that? Uh, just yes, I think she should not have put it on if she would not normally wear it. So, exactly. if if she would normally uh, not wear it, exactly. then she shouldn't have to appease other people. Um, Shit, that's a good point. But um, you know, what would they say? We don't want you in here consoling us because you don't have the right headdress on. Because well, at that would... point she would say, that's precisely the problem. If you're yes. not going to let me in here and console you because I'm not wearing the if correct headscarf. If it was Mrs Fist in is, there, exactly, is, that's what she would say, is wouldn't part she? of the problem. So it would have been good for her to have said, um, you don't have to dress up like me and I don't have to dress up like you. That's right. We're all New Zealanders. It's not about... And Culture. It's about humanity. Mm. She was there to offer her condolences. Mm. Yeah, and full marks. Full marks. I mean, 
you know, I, I, I wouldn't completely condemn her, her, her demeanour and her... I wouldn't condemn her. It's not a thing to condemn, but it's just like... It was disappointing, Mm. deeply disappointing. Mm. Because, as you say, this was part of the problem. Okay, well, it can't be deeply disappointing. No, I am deeply disappointed. This is a situation where emotions are incredibly raw and tough, and there's context to this. So when you've got... You know, fifty people have just been slaughtered. Don't and, make and, excuses for. And, well, no, there's context. So of course there's context, so but the to, context it, is. It's like you would never say in that room. You realise, of course, that one of the reasons this occurred is because of the uh, divisive nature of religion. You don't like, have to say. No, no, but because at that time it's not going to do any good, and there's some context to to this, which which takes a lot of the edge off my now disappointment. Now I'm getting disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not one of your fanboys, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, um, no, but this was, a, this was a golden opportunity for her to say, look, we are all human. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, 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 in the face of this tragedy, we are all human and culture is secondary. And I'm a liberated, I'm a, I'm, I'm a woman. And I do not have to put something on my head because I'm a woman. But arguably, you could say, that's a fight for another day. And this has got something a lot more important is happening right now than that. And let's just let that go through to the keeper and we'll deal with the important issues for now. So it must be a cricket reference, is it? I'm yeah, sorry, I'm yeah, not yeah. familiar with cricket. I just, just find myself supporting Paul here on this one. because. <laughs> And it's not just because I'm in search of my own fanboys. No, um, <laughs> I think that um, I think Paul's onto something there. I don't think it's compulsory to you for you to cover your head when you go into a mosque because I went into the mosque over in Kuala Lumpur, that one that was built by the Brits, mm-hmm. and I went in there with a female friend, and all we had to do was cover our legs. So I had to wear this skirt thing to cover my legs and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and she didn't have to cover her head. Obviously, they're all different. There's a spectrum of things. So, well, should you, like, you, I think you can cut some slack in the raw emotional thing that's going on there at the moment. So, I would but, cut some but, slack, but, but that but, was would you too like, elementary. I would mean, you, would you like to hear from right wing Tony on this? Yeah, because I, I was emailing him on a few things and he what responded. Did he, say? Um, he said because um, uh, we, we uh, various topics were discussed, but one of it was. Good to see, though, that the socialists here and in New Zealand are getting the PC adherences and settings correct with, with veils being donned by PM Arden and Commissar Shorten's wife at various public oh, did he put vigils. One, she put one on too, did she? According to right-wing Tony. He says here, Boy, if, if Scott Morrison's wife donned a veil, the Guardian would be screaming about unacceptable cultural appropriation. <laughs> yes. So why aren't the why aren't the identity you know identitarians screaming at Jacinda for cu- cultural no, that's, appropriation? That's, that's right. Next time, <laughs> next time somebody's at a Mexican party with a sombrero and gets accused of cultural appropriation, then well, what about Jacinda Ardern? Where well, this is the problem, isn't it? But anyway, that's right wing Tony. We haven't heard from Tony for a while. You know, this reminds me a bit the Jacinda Ardern um, situation of Anna Bly after the floods in Queensland. Did she don a hijab? No, but politicians... She was wearing jeans, wasn't she? No, it's not to do with what she was wearing. (laughs) It's about when there's tragedy and politicians 
obviously make the right sounds and the right noises of sympathy and mm. things like that. It's, um, it's, it's easy to be well thought of as a politician if you rock up to disasters yeah. with a sympathetic face. And not that it's a put on in no. either case, but it certainly uh, is a big boost for a politician to appear statesmanlike at yes. a disaster, whether you're George Bush Jr. at the World Trade Center yeah. or if you're um, Anna Bly after the floods or you're Jacinta Ardern after this tragedy. Jacinda it's, probably it's, locked in an, at least another term. Yeah, and not saying she wasn't genuine at all, no, but it's just a so case either. that for politicians, if that happens, yeah. it's a big boost for them. So it is. And Anna Bly, who nobody really liked much, I like got a huge um, boost. Yeah, Scott, absolutely. do you agree? She, did. she, after did. That? she got a very good boost because she yep. cried at the right time. Yep. She did everything perfectly. Yep. And she wore jeans and all that sort of and stuff. And Palaszczuk has done a similar thing too during yeah. the recent floods. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. She's turned up there. Yeah. She has. Mm. She's done all the right things. Mm. Look, I, I don't have a problem with politicians showing sympathy and empathy. I really don't have a problem with Neither that. Neither do I. I think it's all appropriate. I'm just saying yeah. that it's, a, you know, Scott Morrison desperately needs his own tragedy that he can rock up to and... <laughs> <laughs> he'd, he'd muck it up. That's his problem. Well, this is the whole point. Like, and, um, you know, this clown that went over there and had his manifesto and that sort of thing and shot up those mosques, if he was worried about Muslims retaliating or something like that, I think he has just played right into the hands of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all those organisations because they will be able to, they'll be, their imams will be speaking from the, whatever the Muslim equivalent is of a pulpit. They'll be saying this weekend, we told you, these guys hate you. They hate you. And this is what they've done to you. And that is the whole point. This guy has played right into their hands. And and others have amplified that too, Scott. It's not just uh, radical groups like ISIS. You know, you've just got to listen to people like uh, Wahid Ali and, Mm. and the rest of the crew. You know, all the Muslim people on, on, on Australian television now, they're talking about they didn't realise how much everyone hated them. We don't hate them. Do mm. you hate them? I mean... No, I don't hate don't, them. Don't like their ideology. No, and no, that is the whole point. But as people, ideology. we don't hate them. You see, what I keep hearing, and I, I almost watched the drum yesterday. I could only stomach about five minutes of it. It was an all-Muslim <laughs> all female panel. Um, but it's, it's all this whimpering about people, people hate us, people hate us, people hate us. And they keep saying it over and over again. Mm. And we've got to stop the hate speech. And people hate us. And can't we stop this hate speech? Mm. I don't know. I don't hear it. Am I, am I deaf? Am I tone deaf? But maybe you're so privileged that you aren't aware yeah, of Yeah, or maybe I don't listen to Sky After Dark. But... Mm. I think they they focus on the, the the sort of minority elements who may have a, a certain degree of anti-Muslim bigotry, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they they what's the word they, they 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 project that onto the general Australian population. I don't think most Australians really care. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as people are decent people, you know, they go to work. They do their job properly, you know, they raise their kids properly and they're not 
antisocial or, you know, they don't throw their garbage over the fence into the neighbour's backyard. Do you think most people really care what their ethnic background is? I don't think so. Mm. You know, I think there, are, there is an element of... Um... There, there, there is, but you will find that, I, I, I hazard a guess in any country, you'll find a minority element that is a little bit nasty, a little bit unpleasant. Well, there's these guys like um, Joe briefly mentioned on 8chan and 4chan groups that he called incels. So these are guys who are involuntary celibates and they seem to be quite a big phenomena in the USA and less so here. But uh, And they basically turn to this sort of Nazi style of protest. But remember, like I was talking to you, about um, about how aggression got bred out of humans, and one of the aspects like of chickens, that, yes, and and one of the reasons was capital punishment, where mm. where B sort of level males could just get together and uh, execute Kill an A level male, an alpha male who was just being a and, prick. And do you know what else it was? I was reading a book about uh, civilization in the last ten thousand years, and it it also said when people settled into agricultural communities and of course you always get a hierarchy developing where the mm. you know you get a sort of elite minority yep, hunter gatherer tribe who did can, not have who yeah. can cream you know taxes off everybody else he said uh, they said um, basically those people who react violently who are alpha males and sort of want to you know kill their neighbors you know as soon as they infringe upon some sort of perceived right Mm. those people don't survive well either because they get weeded out because it's not in the interest of the elite to have troublemakers in the community well unless they make their way into the elite class and then they're very handy like if you've got a psychopathic priest or a ruler then then, if they make their way up there and that's probably where they would gravitate yeah the ones who survive yep so anyway dear listener for those who missed it it was that uh yeah um, in primate communities, you have these alpha males who are dominating and everyone just has to put up with them. They don't have any choice. And um, in our modern society, we can, um, well, we can lock them up if they're committing murders and things like that. But also women now can just say, no, I, I, don't, I don't have to get married. I don't need you for some financial support. I don't need you for sex. I've got other options there as well. So there's a bunch of just dickhead asshole males who are involuntary celibate who are just now going, I'm not happy. So it's sort of, you know, with the, um, the sexual revolution and, and now with women being financially independent and not needing men, uh, there's a growing batch of these guys who are pretty unattractive wankers who are now cast to the side are not going to have a female partner and are now susceptible like this guy in Christchurch Mm. to venting their frustration in these ways so it's kind of a bit of a a, I think a sort of a flow on effect from that sort of phenomena Mm. Mm, I do Mm. that's a good point I hadn't considered that. Well, in, in China, the, as a result of the one-child policy, there were something like 20 million men who would never find a yes. wife. Yes, yes. And so they started, of course, that encouraged the uh, human trafficking trade from 
countries like Laos and Burma and uh, Cambodia, you yeah. know, young women and girls being trafficked over the border into China and sold to unmarried young That's Chinese men. They'll have all sorts of social problems because of having a bunch of men who are involuntary celibates. Mm. Now, we haven't mentioned yet Fraser Anning and Egg Boy. So, <laughs> so, well, dear listener, lots of people cheering on Egg Boy. It's amazing, isn't it? And people raising money for him yep. for any legal defence that he might need to mount and to buy more eggs. Look, we had not discussed <laughs> this beforehand. But I think you're with me. I get the feeling, 12th man, that we shouldn't be cheering Egg Boy Absolutely for, not. It for was a disgrace. public figures. It, just because you don't like Fraser Anning doesn't mean it's okay. You've, it's not okay. You, with all these things, when you, you've got to be able to translate them into other circumstances yes. and say, would I still be happy if he'd egged Julie Bishop because he wasn't happy with some decision she'd made or some statement she'd made. Like, what if it was a a big, burly, ugly guy and his wife beat a singlet, egged some fragile young lady, politician or spokesman? It's not acceptable. So it's 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 a sexist sort of reaction. No, it's it's bigotry. It's bigotry and it's a kind of vigilantism. You know, and people are taking up online petitions yes. to to try and remove somehow him remove him from power. That's vigilantism. And look, we have we have a process which mm. is called elections. Yeah. People don't like him; they don't vote for him, and that's the way it works. But you don't, you can't have pu- elect, you know publicly elected officials mm. being attacked for even for having an obnoxious opinion. That's right. Uh, you don't like their opinions, and, and you don't once vote you start for them. with an egg, then where does it stop? Because President because Kennedy caught an egg in his head too, but it, it was a lead egg. Exactly. You like, know? I'm really surprised at how much of a you know sort of approbation the kid got. It's disgraceful. So, and I was very disappointed. Some of my own friends actually mm. cheered it on too, and it mm. makes me think: what, what are these people thinking? This is the thing that I found really disturbing was the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the elevation of the uh, online petition that went around, how people were sitting there, I've signed this, you should sign this Mm. today. Now, I didn't have any of my friends send me anything like that, Mm. but I did see that were friends of friends had seen the, uh, they were getting hassled by their mates to sign it. I, I couldn't work it out. I mean, you know. Look, this kid's got his 15 minutes of fame and all that sort of thing. And he's, you know, they raised $57,000 by 2.30 p.m. for his legal fees. Why can I but, buy some eggs? <clears throat> but, you know, he's already got a, a pro bono solicitor acting for him. Mm. You know, mm. it's, I think that the kid went too far. Well, yeah. Do you, Adam Hills, the comedian, you aware of him? Mm. He's got a Twitter account and he tweeted... I'm not okay with the kid in Australia egging a politician. Oh, good for Adam. Further on, he said, uh, take him down, meaning Annan, Anning, with wit, rules and due process. So um, Adam Hills has got half a million followers and for that tweet, he received 1,700 replies. And according to New Matilda, if you can find a supportive comment amongst them, you're doing better than they are. Like... Mm. Out of 1,700 replies, 
almost every one was along the lines of, um, Adam, I'm a fan of your comedy, but you've been away from Australian racism for too long, and as a white man, the guns aren't aimed at you. Wow, so as you a white don't, man. So you don't understand how under threat people of colour are. See, this is the essential racialism of it all, isn't it? If you're a white man, you're incapable of understanding anything. Well, you know, what did we say earlier? Ask, what sort of society do you want? What sort of ideas do you want? No, um, reduce it to who you are and what you are. Yeah. Yes, it's, that, it's all summed up in that tweet. And, you know, we're, we're, I think all of us are fans of Martin Luther King, you know. Mm. He wanted a country where his children were judged, not by the colour of their skin, but... The content of their heart. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And now we've gone backwards. We've gone back to what colour is your skin. Yeah. Well, you know, it happened at the same time because Malcolm X was of the uh, identity politics sort of... And he was of a coloured persuasion yeah, too. Uh, the, yeah, at the same time. So it was happening simultaneously. And unfortunately, he wasn't a very nice guy either, was Unfortunately, he? the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, policy did not survive. Mm. So apparently Indonesia is not happy. You hear that? <laughs> yes, I... So the Indonesian Foreign Ministry summoned the Australian ambassador in Jakarta to express strong condemnation of Australian Senator Fraser Anning's controversial isn't it? <laughs> statement. And, I mean, um, so what? Uh, um, they said, speaking from the world's largest Muslim-majority nation, the Foreign Ministry spokesman said Anning's statement showed a lack of understanding about Islam oh. and his view of the religion was very short-sighted. Acts of terrorism, he said, were not associated with any religion. I know. Wasn't that extraordinary? Talk about a foreign minister who hasn't been reading the news for the last 20 years. Clearly they're associated with religion. Clearly they're associated with racism. It's the bleeding obvious. The whole point of terrorism is you are conducting violent acts to further a sort of a, an objective for your group. Whoever to, they might yeah, be. Uh, to get attention for your group's grievances. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so he said here, the thought conveyed by the Australian Senator is inappropriate and does not have a place in the modern world, whether in Australia, Indonesia or elsewhere. So... Um, Can we reply to the Indonesian Foreign Minister and say we don't think his religion has a place in the modern world? Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, or any others, for that matter. You know, I think that someone should have pointed out to the Indonesian foreign minister that it's one senator from, you know, North Queensland who's not going to be back in next time. I think they should have pointed that out to him. They probably did. Well, one would have thought so. They pointed out that he only got 19 votes the first time. Well, yeah, yeah, I know he only got 19 votes. But we got more votes. Yeah, I know. You did, didn't you? Yeah. How yeah. many did you get? I don't know. Did we get 1,500 or something like that? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I can't remember. Well done. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're right. I mean, it's just, um, you know, I think they should point all that out to them and that's the thing. Just say, look, he's one crackpot. That's it. He doesn't doesn't represent the majority of Australians. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, And and if you want to comment about this matter in – does that mean we can comment about every matter that happens in Indonesia? Exactly. You know, are you going to be you know, to should, would, you know, would you, do you want to yeah. be called, do you want your ambassador over here called yeah. every time there's an absurd, obscenity happening in Arche? Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And look, sorry to... This is the whole... Sorry. Sorry to disagree with you, Scott, but our ambassador 
I don't think he should even call him a crackpot. I think he should just say, well, look, um, our system is that people are elected and they have a perfect right to say what they're thinking. We don't have to, dis we don't have to like it, but you know, that's part of their job is to have an opinion mm. and to express it. Mm. And uh, the way our system works is if peop enough people don't agree with him or like him, they don't vote for him, mm. and he's not re-elected. Do you remember the day when Barnaby Joyce said that we'd lose trade with Indonesia if we passed marriage equality laws? Mm -hmm. Did he say that? Yeah, yeah he did yeah. say that. Yeah. He's a clown. Isn't yeah. Look, on the bright side, at least we've got Scott Morrison to save the day for Australia. <laughs> put, us, put us on the right track. Not to mention Scott the Velvet Glove. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Scott Morrison... To Spears. <laughs> so Scott Morrison gave a speech, and you might have heard some of it, where he denounced tribalism. He did. The only problem, dear listener, when he denounced vehemently tribalism in our society... He didn't know what he was talking about. Well, he did it. The speech was given while he was in the Australia-Israel yes. Chamber of Commerce mm -hmm. in Victoria. Mm -hmm. Context is everything, Fist. Standing at a stage and saying, I denounce, we must all denounce tribalism yes. while you're at the Australia-Israel. Do you think... What happened to just the Chamber of Commerce? Oh, no. We've got to divide into a tribe. tribe. But do you yes. think this he, is the Australia-Israel Chamber of was Commerce. Was he aware of the irony? No. <sighs> He's hardly aware of the nose on his face, that guy. Is just <laughs> and then... He gets into all sorts of trouble because now they're bringing up all sorts of stuff where he's made comments about Islamic immigrants and just Islam generally in the past and people are saying, well, how can you talk the way you are now when you have generated feelings of ill will towards an election the Muslim up. <laughs> community? He said, well, it's because I'm two-faced. No, he didn't say that. He just pulled out his checkbook. And wrote a check for fifty-five million dollars. He did for religious groups offering grants so that they could spend money on security measures such as CCTV, lighting, fencing, bollards, alarms, and loudspeaker systems. Mm. Just a lazy and Christmas lighting. I didn't see that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Look, it's just—it's laughable, isn't it? It like, is laughable. Pull out your checkbook and write fifty-five million bucks. You know, it's and that's going to stop a terrorist. It's that, not going to stop a terrorist. Those bollards, that, the look, bollards would have really uh, slowed that guy down. You know, what? What could you better spend fifty-five million on anyway? Look, I've got a solution. Science education. <laughs> to all the problems we've just discussed, I have a solution. It is. Mm. I say. Let's segregate our kids on religious grounds and send them to separate schools so they never get to know each other. No. <laughs> well, we were talking about this on the way over and I was saying to Scott, my solution is that the government withdraw licences from all religious schools mm. that, okay, we can have private schools and public schools, but they all have to be licensed as thoroughly secular schools, completely secularised, no religious indoctrination whatsoever, no religious clowns, you know, pretending to be teachers, just proper secular schools for all our kids. And then they can grow up free of all this religious 
religiously sourced bigotry because that's where it comes from. Mm. It's all tribal religious bigotry. We've got enough things dividing us without having to More add artificial exactly. uh, groupings so, that we don't need. Seriously, Jacinda, are you listening? Scott, <laughs> close all the religious schools, make them all secular, and I give you, tw- in 20 years, the, the, the tension will be gone. The shovel got it right. I quite like some of the stuff out of the shovel is really good. Mm. Mm. They said... The government has denounced Fraser Anning's response to the recent Christchurch terrorist attack, saying it was incumbent on all politicians to at least give the impression they're not inflaming race issues to garner votes. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said Mr Anning's comments were disgusting and out of step with modern Australia and took the opportunity to remind voters that Muslims were failing to integrate into Australian society. His comments about Muslims, who, by the way, are the reason for a lot of the traffic problems in Sydney right now, were disgusting. (laughs) Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton said all Australians were united in their fight against racism and that Mr Anning's comments had no place in Canberra, or in Melbourne for that matter, where it's impossible to grab a coffee these days without being accosted by a Sudanese gang. (laughs) (laughs) Mr Dutton said his and Anning's views couldn't be further apart. I never once used the firm white Australia policy when suggesting that white South African asylum seekers should be given preference over non-white asylum seekers. Whereas Mr Anning has specifically used that term, he should be ashamed. Um, well, it wasn't because they were white that he wanted to give them preferential treatment. It's because they're good farmers. <laughs> yeah. Former Prime Minister Tony Abbott <laughs> added his concerns, saying, I would advise all of my colleagues to use more measured, more respectful language when inciting race fears. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look, they're in trouble, the Coalition, because no. all of these issues just work against them. Like... Mm. This has just raised consciousness of – it made people – How did it be the other way around? Had a someone from Afghanistan stormed a yeah. Catholic yes. church and slaughtered 50 parishioners there, that would have played into the hands of the coalition. Correct. Yeah, but it's gone the other way. It's gone the other way, yeah. Mm. Oh. And the whole boat people that sort of the – the sentiment on that has changed, yeah. and you I mean, know, in two thousand and one, you had, you know, you had um, Howard stood up and said, "We will decide who comes to this country in the manner in which they come." Then, two weeks later, a plane load of Arabs flew their planes into two tall buildings in the United States. You know, that then played right into the hands of Howard, who said, "Well, you know, I'm going to keep you safe and all that sort of thing, and part of that is keeping our borders safe." But you know. He, you know, they're right. Barry Cassidy has said that the, the, the mood has changed in the electorate. Yeah, and, and none of it is in line with the things that the coalition would normally be no, exactly. um, bringing forward in their fear-mongering that they would normally do before an election. So, uh, I mean, that? there are some really ugly tenets in the Islamic faith. Mm. There are some Absolutely. really yeah. ugly things that are, that are there mm. that, you know... <laughs> You know, if there was an Islamic pope, you'd sit him down and say, look, you've got to start telling your people to start ignoring this. But, mm. you know, there's no Islamic pope. Mm. How do you think Commissar Shorten mm. is uh, taking all this? Oh, he'd just be, at this stage of the game, keeping his head down. Is he smoking a if, cigar if, yet? And he would just be, just making sure he doesn't muck anything up. 
and God. he'll cruise his way in. But, Scott, you know, the problem is, yes, there's lots of bad tenets in the Islamic faith, but not all people believe in all of them. And, no, I know that, but you've got a minority of them that do believe in it. The diff, you know, there's a spectrum there. What we really need to be able to do is to, is, uh, is to emigrate, is to work out. You know, you, you want to what's the word I'm looking for? You wanted to um, want to categorize categorize Muslims. Yeah, yeah Muslim line, <laughs> which was apparently reprehensible. It was reprehensible at the time, but it's, I think I've moved on it anyway. Three years ago, you, three years ago, you accused me of that. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't forgotten. Oh. <laughs> and you're never going to forget. Do mm. um, you guys celebrate St. Patrick's Day? I don't. We went out to the pub yesterday. We, well, well, we went out to the pub on Sunday. We did. You was did. that for St. Patrick's was, Day? Well, it was a St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day. I had no we, idea. We did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, um, mm. friend I, re- of the I really wasn't aware of it. <laughs> friend of the show, uh, Kate. Is that why people were telling Irish jokes? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it was St. Patrick's And that's why the guy was in the green shirt, the oh. organiser of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was in an Irish yeah. rugby union show, which yeah. was very, yeah, rather unfortunate for him because the Welsh just beat the Irish. Mm. So. so anyway, um, it's a day where uh, we celebrate where one dominant religion drove out the indigenous religion, and we celebrate by drinking. Apparently, so. <laughs> that's uh, from a friend of the show, Caitlin, um, because originally they were uh, practicing a form of Celtic polytheism until um, St. Patrick came along and converted them. Yeah, Yeah. so there we go. Um, We haven't mentioned Brexit much, but I've got a friend in Ireland, uh, Ray, and I said to him, you know, there's all this talk about putting, if it's a hard Brexit and they put a wall up, there's talk about the sectarian violence Returning mm. and, and a return of the troubles. Mm. Is that possible? And he said, absolutely. Mm. Like he said that there are radical elements on both sides and um, some of them have, you know, still itching for a fight and you only need a few and the whole Is it thing could start again. Because of the actual sort of symbolic significance of an actual hard border. You know, so long as there's no hard border and people are just driving back and forth between Northern Ireland and Irish Republic, then it's almost as if there is no border and they feel, well, you you know, Ireland is now united. Yep. In in fact, if not in law. Well, it's because the the nationalists who who want, you know, one island would see a wall as just, you know... A step too far. Exactly, yeah. 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 And then there'd be the retaliation from the loyalist paramilitaries, so... Apparently, even though you would think your average Irishman by now would would not return to those days, wouldn't you think? You would think, but he, he says it's. Uh, Why quite, would anyone want to go back to that? Yeah, no, but apparently it's just below the surface there. Like mm. you go in there, and that sort of thing. You've got Catholic and Protestant um, suburbs. Yeah, you know, it's mm. really very, very ugly. Mm. So. Um, Right, we'll pause momentarily because she's now. Did you... Dear listener, we're uh, we're fortunate to be joined once again by Hugh Harris, who's walked in and settled back into a fourth chair. And welcome aboard, Hugh. Thank you. Good to be here. Mm. So, Hugh, we're going to talk about Venezuela a bit later on, round okay. two. All right. <laughs> <laughs> good. Did any of your friends feel convinced by my argument? Did anybody ever say to you afterwards, you know, Trevor had some good stuff to say there, and you might be wrong, Hugh? 
Well, no, and I, I wouldn't admit it if they did. Oh. But <laughs> <laughs> and do any of your friends listen to it? Uh, Meredith listens right. to it. Okay. She uh, didn't didn't comment on she it. She wasn't. She weigh. wasn't. No, she didn't. She didn't weigh in. I did. I'll, okay. I'll bring it up when we get to it. Okay, all right. But I was very disappointed, and I apologise to the listeners that I wasn't as well informed about Venezuela when we last spoke. But okay. I'm a little bit better informed today. Okay, okay. very good. I yeah, okay. We'll get to Venezuela soon. But we have already had our little discussion about uh, the white terrorist in Christchurch. Yes, and we discussed an article from Spiked, which basically talked about identity and how the world today is focused on identity and people look to their identity and we're broken down into cultural and racial groups and we identify with those rather than looking at the broader problems facing society as a whole. Yes. And kind of what the spiked article was saying, well, when all of the sort of coloured people or ethnic groups have broken down into groups, then um, here's a white guy who's identifying as a white guy and it's all a part of the same phenomena. And on your Facebook page, you seem to poo-poo that, it seemed to me. But maybe am I wrong on that or not? I shared that article even though <clears throat> I did read... Uh, I scanned over the article, I have to admit. I didn't read all of it. And um, I am just sick of some terrorist or some nutcase does a shocking crime and yet the media for the last week has spun around itself analysing what's wrong with our society that one nutcase in one part of the world can, can, can make a terrorist act. So the point that I was making was not necessarily disagreeing with Brendan O'Neill and his... I actually happen to agree with his general philosophy, similar to Sam Harris's philosophy, that identity politics is part of the problem. And Paul actually wrote quite a uh, convincing post on my Facebook about that, which I tend to agree with. I just... The point I was making, though, was a different point altogether. And I'm making the point that this is not... I don't think this... You can draw a huge number of conclusions out of this one act... However, if someone wanted to put together all of the supposed acts by uh, of white uh, right-wing nationalist terrorists and build a case that all of the commentary of the coalition or, or whatever is causing it, then that's fine. I'm so, not. So you're sh- saying rather than a symptom of a problem in our society or of a significant problem, this is just a one-off random event that that, that really doesn't reflect anything of our society. I don't think you can take... I'm not saying that categorically. I'm saying that I'd I'd be yet to convince that one random act of terror is similarly... But in the United States, for example, when they talk about um, mass shootings, and I think they categorise a mass shooting as more than three Three or four people killed by the one assailant... Mm. It's virtually one a day or something like that. I haven't, so I haven't seen the stats on it. Every report I see talks about um, white, white um, right-wing uh, racist terrorism hmm. having a lot, more, a lot more terrorist incidents than, say, compare it specifically to Islamic terrorism. But uh, I haven't seen actual statistics on that. 
I, I don't know that I would take the, uh, for instance, the what was the guy Andreas Brevik that was in mm-hmm. was that Nor- Norway 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 yeah does that say something significant that that nutcase went out and did that does that say something significant about Western culture does the does uh, the what was he called the uni bomber does that say something significant about a, a definite a definite identity group or some sort of I think it, it in the says case that of some Brevik, got... it does because he identified de- uh, very very clearly as a as a as a white European didn't he and he was he had a grievance against the inv- you know so-called invasion of non-Europeans I yeah. thought he was just basically against the social democrats wasn't he he was. It was a similar similar ideology than the than the guy in New Zealand. He apparently, picked, he picked but, on but, the but Labor Party. He, yeah. So he murdered a lot of young people belong on a on a Labor Norwegian Labor Party camp because he saw the Labor Party as basically as at the heart of the problem in government. Didn't he? You know, sort of this left leaning government that um, invites all these foreigners, for want yeah. of a better word, in. True. Um, Anyway. I don't think I don't think that says anything significant about Norwegian society that Andreas Brevik did that. I don't think it says anything about New Zealand society that this nutcase did that. I think the thing in common with all of these people is that they tend to be socially very isolated. They're often mentally ill, and often the guys who similarly who um, who perform Islamic terrorist acts or one-off terrorist acts, like the guy who did the Lint Cafe siege, he was mentally ill. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. he was influenced by the ideology, and the ideology is a problem. And uh, but he was also significantly mentally ill. Whereas you can draw a distinction between that and terrorist acts by ISIS and by organised groups like Boko mm-hmm. Haram and whatever. But I'm I'm yet to be convinced. I thought Paul's argument was very strong. I think Brendan O'Neill's arguments are generally pretty good, if at times a little bit libertarian or right wing for my tastes. Mm. Um, but yeah. mm. yeah. Let me give you some stats. I've just quickly Googled. And a mass shooting, um, if we use a definition, an act of violence, excluding gang killings, domestic violence, or terrorist acts sponsored by an organisation in which a gunman kills at least four victims. All right? Fabulous. So yeah. studies are showing that uh, in the United States, um, between 2011 and 2014 you get one mass shooting every 64 days. Gosh, sure. Bloody okay, hell. So, so one mass shooting every 64. Yeah. yeah. And arguably, that might be higher in New Zealand and Australia if there was more access to guns. Like, yeah. So, you know, it's, okay, a random, well, it's not random, I think, is we're developing a class of disenfranchised nutters who... Um, hang around in 4chan or 8chan and and, mm. and drink the Kool-Aid there or and hang around a radicalised mosque uh, mm. and, and drink the Kool-Aid there and then we're in trouble. So I think the interesting mm. issue that comes out of it, especially for us, is that if you're someone who, like myself, has written in the media being extremely critical of Islam as a religion, mm. mm-hmm. you're liable to be accused of stoking the sort of... Uh, Thing that led to this guy yes. doing it. You, you are. They. What? Do, what are the words that they tend to use? They hate, te- hate speech. No, no. weaponized oh. speech. Weaponized speech, and now. also uh, nodding. 
nodding oh, uh, to uh, extremists, yes. giving dog a nod. whistling, dog whistling, like yeah. the coalition definitely does. So yes. it's very difficult for us to criticise Islam without appearing to be Islamophobic. Yes, you're right. So mm. we we will, you know, inevitably get criticism from some people if you know if those sorts of people ever listen to this podcast mm. for exactly the reasons you outlined. Mm. You're right. Mm. So anyone who crit- criticises Islam is seen as Islamophobic and racist. Yeah. And encouraging violence against Muslims. Yeah. But ultimately it's just an ideology. It's just a series of ideas and and heaven forbid, but you know, you can attack socialism and just denounce socialists (laughs) as a scourge on the planet. You can. Absolutely, and you should. And you should. I agree. And fair enough, because you're criticising the ideology. Yeah. And it's the same thing when you're criticising uh, Islam. But don't you know socialists are not a race, so, Trevor? But, but this is the point. When you're criticising a socialist, you're, you know, oh, he's a socialist, then you're criticising the ideology that he holds of socialism, and that's fair game. By all means, Absolutely. go ahead. Yes. But you can't do the same for religion because somehow it holds this special place. But because it's also racist, apparently. No, it's because yeah. they have brown skin. Yeah, but mm. of course you can be white and Muslim, you can be of black and Christian. So, mm-hmm. um, have you guys mm. watched the drum in the last couple of days? Oh, oh, you guys are massacres. If you can oh. Can you, I tried, yes. Have you, have you watched it? Did you watch it yesterday? I, I saw it yesterday. I didn't listen to it. I watched it. I, it, it was Turban Central. I, I, I watched. Yeah, it was. I, it, was it was, what did they say? <laughs> it was <laughs> it was full blown Muslim. It was. It was all. It was. But why? I mean, it, why? Why on a, on a, why on a such the, an important and contentious topic as a massacre of, of a group of people? Would you only invite people from that group that, that, that that's suffered right. the that's, atrocity? That's right. Why are they most qualified to talk about it? Yes. You, you don't get that if they, when they murder Charlie Hebdo, mm-hmm. you know, when they murder an atheist group or a, or a magazine group. You don't get only, only atheists or, or only comedians or atheists or to talk yeah. about it. Mm. Was, I don't know. It's, it was bizarre, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it. I think it was such an overreaction, and now everyone is scampering to, to say I'm not part of anything to do with uh, this. We've got to completely condemn anyone. And this uh, Fraser Anning, who's abhorrent, whose beliefs are shocking, and who's obviously a white nationalist, a racist, whatever. But it, people are talking about him as if he actually shot the bullets. Just, and, just, and, just and you know, you can, you can smash eggs on his head and you can assault him in public, yeah. and you're a hero now. Yeah. What did you think of the egging? I wrote a post on that on Facebook. I, yeah. think, I think it's outrageous that people on our side of the debate, like Jane Caro or whatever, they're all coming out and saying, oh, what a hero this did young, young, young idiot did you? is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Van Batam. Went oh, out. Van Batam. Yeah, well, I'm not a big fan of Van Batam. Not but a big I, fan? No, well, I'm... You're I'm, a little I'm, fan of Van Adam. <laughs> no, I Van hate it. I, I, I just... I, I, uh, I, I wouldn't say I detest. Look at the woman. I can't stand her on Q and A. I find she's, her appalling. She's, she's such insufferable. A, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'd agree. I wasn't going to say that, but I, I do agree. Right. On. Moving on from the ABC. <laughs> Speaking of protest, a protest that might uh, or might not receive your um, oh, condemnation or your. Um, What's the opposite of condemnation? Approval. The student protesters taking a day off on a Friday and heading into the city and um, 
and protesting about climate change and the lack of action. Gentlemen, thoughts on that one? Oh, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I don't think they were encouraged by left-wing teachers or the ABC, <laughs> as the Australian was seeming to make out. I think I don't have a problem with it. Scott? I would have preferred if they'd stayed in school, but it probably wouldn't have had an effect if they'd had that sort of argument on a Friday afternoon after classes were over and that sort of thing. I don't think it would have worked, so I didn't really have a problem with it either. Twelfth man? I have a big problem with it because... Because <laughs> as a teacher, you <laughs> as want, an you want teacher. to teach. And, and look, I was a social education teacher. It was exactly yeah. my field. And I can tell you... Uh, teachers, you know, like the general community, we, we, are, we are subject to the, the general trends and currents. And, you know, environmentalism is, is popular. Mm. It's very popular. And, um, look, you know, I'm all in favour of the issue, you know, of the cause. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think definitely, you know, more action and more community engagement is necessary in I, the issue. I sense a but coming. I just don't think children should be, uh, you know, railroad... Well, not railroaded is not the right term, but I don't think they should be seduced into this position where they feel like they have, some, they have this power. Do you remember when you were 17 or 18 and you thought you understood the whole world? Yeah, I do agree with that opinion, yeah. yes. Has you he know swayed what I mean? you? They're What's not that? ready. Has he convinced you? They're not I think ready. he's got a very good point. But I, I still approve of their right to protest and yes. go out to say what On they the want. Look, look, I but don't... <laughs> leaving school, which is a very valuable thing for them to be doing at their age. Yeah. Here's my argument. See, I think it wouldn't what's, have been as effective if they'd the turned out time? at four o'clock on Friday afternoon. Yes, but what's the next issue that, that they'll all march out of school on? I don't know. Low wages for children? <laughs> Who knows? We need more activists in our community. So much is going on in our society and people are just blasé about it. Like we're zombie walking into a little apocalypse we here are. in the society. What we so need anything is... that encourages kids to start thinking about issues and to start realising they need to protest and be politically active, even if they were completely wrong, like if that was a march in favour of neoliberalism, I still would have well, applauded go. them going. Really? Yes, because it would have been, hey, guys, you need to be aware about what's happening in this community. You're going to be voting in two or three years' time. So I reckon it was um, invaluable for them to just get the idea that they need to be active in, in doing things. In, and if that was a small start along the way, for goodness sake... Yeah. I could have taken every Friday off after at school and still been fine. Like, the amount of wasted time in the school. The, the best sign I saw was a Victorian kid with a placard, which, and his sign was at this protest thing, he didn't complain when we had Monday off for a horse race. Like, good point. Like, happy to give the kids, you know, the public holiday off for a horse race. And then they're going to complain about them, you know, with climate change. Yeah, just trying I, to think of something, so. a cause where all the kids went out of school for a day and protested that you wouldn't like. You know, can you think of something? Yeah, go on. I just, I just kids... know neoliberalism. That was... No, no, no. What if it was something like... Um, supporting an action of... Supporting... And, and, you know, hiving off the Northern Territory and creating a separate Aboriginal nation. And all the kids of school were persuaded that that was a really noble cause. And they all went out 
and left school for a day saying, yes, Northern Territory should be not part of Australia anymore. It should be the nation of ab- ab- Aboriginal alia. Or it would whatever. have been great because presumably there would have been talk about it and presumably their parents or one of them might have said, well, I reckon that's a load of bunkum. And if it meant that there was discussion, fantastic. Yeah, but they can have discussion. They have discussion during social education class at school. You, you, know, you, you, they you can have, have student forums on the weekend, you, whatever. You have complained regularly about how disinterested the Australian people are in political events, and here are kids being interested in political events, and you're saying, oh, no, 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 your time's too valuable at school. No, you, you, you don't, don't, don't misinterpret there. me. I absolutely support kids being engaged and interested in politics, and I even, in my modest uh, way, encourage my own students to, to be politically if I've been drinking too much, to be politically engaged. <laughs> that, that's me. Uh, but, you know, I mean, because I, I, as you know, I work with young adults and they come from a range of countries and they're all, well, not, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't disparage them, but a lot of them are fairly disengaged from politics because I, I sometimes ask them, I say, you know, you're interested in politics and they go, oh, not really, you know. And I say to them, well, what's the politics like in your country? And, of course, there are Colombians and Brazilians and they're very unhappy mm-hmm. with the state of their politics. And yeah, I say, Venezuelans. I, yeah, and I say to them, well, I say... <laughs> Elite Venezuelans. If you don't like it, who's going to change it? And I say, if you guys, who are good people, don't get involved and go, don't get engaged and interested... The bad guys will always take well, it. Well, how can you say that and not applaud the kids taking the Friday off? Because to... they're too young. Too young. They're not of the age where they really Some of them have are voting next year. Well, next year they can go out and protest. When see, voting. I would Stop. have been interested Sorry. to see what the numbers would be if you'd said we're going to organise this protest rally on Sunday. Would have been a lot less. Exactly, because you go. These okay. kids were just taking the time off school, so they're just virtue signalling. I mean, if we want them to be politically let's engaged, let's make it hard for them. Let's yeah, let's let's oh, let's let's let them demonstrate real commitment. Yeah. Oh, please, what, what, what? a day off school. Who wouldn't go? You know, I mean, really. Well, lots wouldn't, because it involves a long walk. So lots wouldn't. Come on. It's cool. <laughs> it's a real. It's a. They'd, they'd all be it's going. A fashion they'd, they'd all be having a smoke. Can I tell you what happened at the local high school? The local <clears> high school said to the grade eleven students, uh, to the whole school, "You're not allowed to go. You have to be at school. And if anyone in grade eleven goes, you will be ineligible for any leadership position next year." Mm. I thought that was too tough. Which school? The Gap High. Oh, really? Mm. At a high school. Mm. Oh. That's terrible. Yeah, I agree. You would have thought that they would have been supporting the kids, you know, yeah. the left, left-wing left teachers. <laughs> the left obviously, wing. <laughs> obviously that school's not representative <laughs> of the whole of Australia. No, that's the reactionary suburbs. <laughs> so, all, <laughs> so all teachers <laughs> are left The wing. reactionary suburb that Trevor lives in. <laughs> you live in a neighbouring suburb. <laughs> you, mine's, more, mine's probably more reactionary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, okay. Well, we're divided on that one. Um, just briefly, uh, we had uh, drinks at a pub on Sunday afternoon at a, a different event, and there was a lady there we'd never met before, and the discussion got round to assisted dying because she worked in palliative care. In palliative care. 
Did I get a little bit too heated with her? Oh, I didn't think so. All All right. Right. Oh, that was before I got there, wasn't it? <laughs> Must have been. Yeah, because yeah, we were discussing it. And she's in a Catholic institution yeah. and we were talking about it. And here's the thing that I just wanted to say was that it just surprises me how little she knew of the issue for somebody who worked in palliative care and had done so for 20 years. But and did, did she think that because she was in palliative care that she knows more about the issue than you? No. And therefore... No, but it just surprised me that she didn't know much. Like, at one point she said, there's no such thing as a happy death. And I said, bullshit, of course there is. I said, there's people who have, and we were talking about assisted dying cases, people who have a party. Like, they know they're going to go, they invite all their friends over, they have drinks and singing and songs, and then at some point they say, right, I'm ready to go. And, mm. and she had no idea that that was possible, so... What was Just because you work in, well, I think she was either a nurse or something close to a nurse. She was a something. nurse, yeah. yeah. So just because you're in an industry, a non-industry person like myself who reads enough, it doesn't take long and you can perhaps know even more than people in an industry or certainly have much broader perspectives. So just because people are in an industry doesn't make them experts. No, I'd agree with that. And mm. it seems... Uh, appropriate to mention the discussion I had with you a little mm. uh, few weeks ago that I was concerned that the AMA doesn't support um, voluntary assisted dying oh, yeah. yep. and that concerned me. I, I'm not exceptionally knowledgeable about this issue and it's something that I need to get a bit more knowledgeable about mm-hmm. because it's a it's an issue that the RSA is strongly supporting and the, the laws are going to change. But I was concerned about that, and Trevor, you had a pretty good answer to that. Can you remember what it was? You're, uh, looking, you're looking a bit blank. Well, that not many doctors are actually members of the AMA, yeah. and that they're disproportionately old and conservative. So, yeah, what was, was the percentage that I Craig think, told us? Something like thirty, and mm. and yeah, the, the membership was not representative of your average doctor. Yeah. It seemed to me. Yeah, so. Mm. I think you've got to look at the Royal Australian College of GPs if you want a more a more balanced look at it all. Yeah. I think they're in support of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've just clicked on something on the screen and uh, it's, a picture, it's a picture of uh, Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky, Noam so Chomsky please. We, I we, hope you're not going to say his arguments. We better get on to Venezuela. But I assume that you are. Did you know that there was a chimp that was... Um, used for, you know, <laughs> experiments at a university somewhere in America. His name was Nim Chimpsky. <laughs> <laughs> they were teaching him to talk, that's right. That, it was a an experiment in teaching a chimp <laughs> to communicate with uh, symbolic language called Nim Chimpsky. No, that is cute. I didn't know that. So here, let's talk about Venezuela. Let's go. And at that point, dear listener, Hugh and I launched into round two of Venezuela uh, a short way into it, Scott and Paul had to pull the pin. S- Scott wakes up every morning at 4.30, so he's got to get to bed early. Anyway, uh, the discussion rambled a bit, and I feel, to keep it interesting, I'll need to cut out bits, probably the bits where Hugh had some good arguments. No, seriously. Uh, at some point, I will edit it and uh, put it up, but it's just going to take me too long, and it's too late at night, and I want to get out the rest of this episode, so... Thanks for tuning in and listening. We'll be back next week. Bye.
Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.